0: Chapter One of No Clue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. No Clue by James Hay. Chapter One: The Gray Envelope. Catherine Brace walked slowly from the mantelpiece to the open window and back again. Within the last hour she had done that many times, always to halt before the mantel and gaze at the oblong gray envelope that leaned against the clock. Evidently she regarded it as a powerful agency. An observer would have perceived that she saw tremendous things come out of it, and that she considered them with mingled satisfaction and defiance. Her attitude, however, betrayed no hint of hesitation. Rather the fixity of her gaze and the intensity of her mental concentration threw into high relief the hardness of her personality. She was singularly devoid of that quality which is generally called feminine softness. And she was a forceful woman. She had power. It was in her lean, high-shouldered, ungraceful figure. It was in her thin, mobile lips and her high-bridged nose with its thin, clean-cut nostrils. She impressed herself upon her environment. Standing there at the mantel, her hands clasped behind her, she was so caught up by the possibilities of the future that she succeeded in imparting to the gray envelope an almost animate quality. She became aware once more of voices in the next room, a man's light baritone in protest, followed by the taunt of her daughter's laugh. Although she left the mantel with lithe, swift step, it was with unusual deliberation that she opened the communicating door. Her voice was free of excitement when, ignoring her daughter's caller, she said, "'Mildred, just a moment, please.' Mildred came in and closed the door. Her mother, now near the window across the room, looked first at her and then at the grey envelope. "'I thought,' Mrs. Brace said, "'you'd forgotten you were going to mail it.' "'Why didn't you mail it yourself?' The tone of that was cool insolence. Mother and daughter were strikingly alike, hair piled high in a wide wave above the forehead, black eyes too restless, but of that gleaming brilliance which heralds a refusal to grow old. So far, however, the daughter's features had not assumed an aspect of sharpness like the mother's. One would have appraised the older woman vindictive, malevolent possibly but in the younger face the mouth greatly softened almost concealed this effect of calculating hardness mildred brace's lips had a softness of line a vividness of coloring that indicated emotional depths utterly foreign to her mother they bore themselves now as if they commented on a decision already reached a momentous step to which they had given immense consideration I didn't mail it, Mrs. Brace answered her daughter's query, because I knew if you mailed it you'd do as you'd said you'd wanted to do. There was frank emphasis on the said. Your feet don't always follow your intelligence, you know. I've been thinking about the thing, Mildred retorted, looking over her mother's shoulder into the summer night. What's the use? What's the use? Mrs. Brace echoed, incredulous. "'Just that. "'We've been all over it. "'You know what it means to you, to both of us.' They spoke in low tones, careful that the man in the living room should not hear. "'My dear mother,' Mildred said, with a return of her cool insolence. "'You display a confidence hardly warranted by your—and our—man experience.' She yawned slightly. There was a harsher note in her mother's reply. "'He can't refuse. He can't!' Mildred stared at the gray envelope a full three minutes. Mrs. Brace, wordless, showing no uneasiness as to the outcome, waited for her to speak. "'It's no use, mother,' she said at last. "'We can't manage it. Him. This thing.' It's too late." The flat finality, the dreariness of that announcement, angered the older woman. Calmness fell from her. She came away from the window slowly, her hands clasped tightly at her back, the upper part of her body bending forward a little, her thin nostrils expanding and contracting to the force of her hurried breathing like leaves shaken in the wind. The curl of her thin lips added a curious ferocity to the words that passed them. She spoke, only when her face was within a few inches of Mildred's. "'No use,' she said contemptuously, her lowered voice explosive with passion. "'Why? And why too late? Have you no self-respect, no will, no firmness? Are you all jelly and She got hold of herself with remarkable effectiveness, throwing off the signs of her wrath as suddenly as they had appeared. She retreated a step and laughed without mirth. "'Oh, well,' she said, "'it's your party, not mine, after all. But in future, my dear, don't waste your time and mine in schoolgirl heroics.' She completed her retreat and stood again at the window. Her self-restraint was in a way fiercer than her rage, and it affected her daughter. "'You see,' she concluded, "'why I didn't mail it. I knew you wouldn't do the very thing you'd outlined.' Mildred looked at the envelope again. The pause that followed was broken by the man in the other room. "'Mildred,' he called. Mrs. Brace laughed silently. Mildred, seeing that ridicule, recoiled. "'What are you laughing at?' she demanded. Her mother pointed to the communicating door. "'I was thinking of that,' she said. "'For life, and—' she looked toward the gray envelope. "'The other thing.' "'I don't see—' Mildred began, and checked herself, gazing again at the envelope. Her mother turned swiftly and stood looking into the night. The man called again and was not answered. The two women were motionless. There was no sound in the room save the ticking of the clock on the mantel. Two minutes passed. Three. Mildred went toward the mantel, put out her hand, withdrew it. She became conscious of the excessive heat and touched her forehead with her handkerchief. She glanced at her mother's motionless figure, started to speak, closed her parted lips. Indecision shook her. She put out her hand again, picked up the envelope, and stood tapping it against her left palm. Mrs. Brace, without moving, spoke at last it's a few minutes of twelve. If you catch the midnight collection, he'll get it out there by five o'clock tomorrow afternoon." There was another pause. Mildred went slowly to the door leading into the living room and once more she was on the point of speaking. Mrs. Brace was drumming her fingers on the window ledge. The action announced plainly that she had finished with the situation. Mildred put her hand on the knob, pulled the door half open, closed it again. "'I've changed my mind,' she said, dreariness still in her voice. "'He can't refuse.' Her mother made no comment. Mildred went into the living room. "'Jean,' she said with that indifference of tone which a woman employs toward a man she despises, "'I'm going down to mail this.' Well, I'll swear, he quarreled sullenly, been in there all this time writing to him? Yes, look at it, she taunted viciously, and waved the envelope before his eyes. Sloanhurst! Taking up his hat, he went with her to the elevator. End of Chapter One Recording by Roger Moline